but hopefully you were blessed by Martin's message last week, and uh, I spent a little bit of time away, traveled back to Rockford. My, one of my brothers, older brothers, he had a retirement party, and so got to hang out with them and uh, my mom, and <laughs> as you can see, I'm adopted. Uh, so that's uh, my four, four older brothers, and um, also uh, we hiked the Sawtooth Mountains, and so we did the whole loop, you know, the whole Pettit Alice Lake, Twin Lakes, uh, and uh, Farley Lake, and so uh, let me just say that's not for the faint of heart, okay? I mean, uh, we a little bit underestimated things, but we made it, and there's a picture of that, 9,600 feet, I think, there. Uh, but I'll share with you a quick little low light as far as uh, what took place, and so those of you guys that are hardcore backpackers and campers, you know at the end of the night what you need to do. You need to put everything in the bear bag, right, and hang it up so the bears don't invade the space and find some tasty morsels and hopefully just food and not people, right? And so, um, so we hung up the bear bag and Jen got this little contraption where uh, you put a rock in a bag and uh, you take this rock bag and chuck it over a branch and then pull up your bear bag that way, right? And so, so I, I, I throw the rock bag over there. Now keep in mind this is 1030 at night when we're all just trying to get settled in and I, I throw the the, the rock bag over there, and it gets stuck, of course, and I'm pulling, and I'm yanking on, and all of a sudden, boom, right in the kisser, and uh, it was not pretty, and uh, guys, I am a sinful man, just as you all are, I'm not sure what came out of my mouth, but I'm in just as much need of grace as y'all, okay, so... The funny thing was, is, um, you know, the people camping around, it was all women. It was like, I don't know, like sister get-togethers or family get-togethers. I was like the only guy in the camp. And so everyone's like, it was that guy the next morning, okay? So <laughs> anyhow, we, uh, we lived to tell about it, and it, it, was, it was great. But again, um, it is not for the faint of heart. My vote is just building a little motel in the middle of the Sawtooth and helicoptering in. I mean, that's, that's my vote. I don't know if anyone's there with me, but... But it's great to be back. It's uh, great to be back in the thick of things in the book of uh, this very book of Joshua, this very compelling book. And just uh, this is now our 11th message through this book. And just a, a quick re- recap. We remember that uh, the Israelites, they were stepping into the promised land and um, just overtaking many of these cities. They, they brought down, the Lord brought down the fortified walls of, of Jericho. And then almost immediately after that, they went to the city of Ai. We call it Ai instead of Ai or Ie, so we'll stick with Ai. And, and so, but here at this battle of Ai, they were routed. In fact, 36 of the Israelites were killed. And this was devastating for Joshua. He he tore his clothes and fell on his face. And one of the reasons he did this is because he was promised in chapter 1 that no man would stand against him. So he, he was just so perplexed. But then, um, as we heard from Travis a couple of weeks ago, we found out that it was the sins of Achan uh, within their camp, within the nation of Israel, that took, he saw, and then he took, and then he hid some of the devoted things that were devoted to destruction by the Lord. And because of this, the Israelites, they lost this battle uh, of Ai. Uh, but then after this was found out, they, they, they um, followed what the Lord instructed them to do with Achan and his family. And now they were told that they were to go back to the city of Ai with a new strategic plan. And that's what they did. And they, they conquered the city of Ai. 
And so it was at this time, as we heard from Martin last week, that they um, reaffirmed and devoted themselves to the Mosaic Covenant. And what that means is that they were told in Deuteronomy 27 that when you arrive into the promised land, that you are to go to Mount Ebal and, and, and recite the curses, the things that you are to stay away from. And then uh, half the people are to go to Mount Ebal and half the people are to go to Mount Gerizim. And those other half are to recite the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. And, and this is just kind of a recommitment and redevotion that took place at an appropriate time after the sins of Achan and the disobedience and the reproach that it brought upon the nation of Israel. And so that's what they were told to do and that's what they did. And this is where we arrive at chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in the first 15 verses. <laughs> first service, I said first 15 chapters, and everyone freaked out a little bit. They thought they were going to be here till 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, but no, we're going to be in the first 15 verses. And if you notice in your Bible that you might see the words or the phrase, if you have some headings, the, the deception of the Gibeonites or the Gibeonites' deception. And this is really the overarching theme. This is the topic for uh, today's message. It's very unique how we could see how, how Joshua and his faithful leaders, faithful men, godly men, they were indeed deceived by the Gibeonites. They were led to believe something that wasn't true. And I think a big takeaway for us today is that there are thousands upon thousands of weighty decisions that we have to make in this life, right? And how do we know that we are correctly hearing from the Lord? How do we know that we are going down the path that he has designated for us? How do we know that we're not being deceived by the devil? I mean, I think that's a, an important question that, that begs an answer. I mean... Is this the path that the Lord has for us? Or is this a, a, a path that the devil is deceiving us? Or are we just being given over to our uh, sinful bents and desires? And so that's the question that we regularly arrive at. In fact, there's probably many in this room right now that you have a weighty decision looming right before you. You have and are at a place where you're like, Lord, I need your wisdom, guidance, and discernment more than ever before right now. Because I'm facing some either heavy stuff or a fork in the road, and I just need your direction. And that's a place that we want to arrive at. We want to stay within the will of God. We don't want to be deceived. So before we jump in to Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, let's just ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord... We come before you and none of us want to be deceived. Uh, we want to be within your will and within your will we want to bring you glory. But Lord, there are so many decisions and so many things to contemplate. It's very hard and difficult at times to navigate waters. And so Lord, we pray uh, through not only this passage today, but through the totality uh, of your word, that you would make it abundantly clear that we could have some type of blueprint, some type of process that we could uh, look to, Lord, that we could make the wise decision, that we wouldn't be deceived, 
that we stay in and according to your will, as we are told in Romans 12:2, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, Lord, that's our heart's cry, and that's what we ask uh, today in petition, Lord. Show us the way. Amen. So, Joshua chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 15. Again, um, my Bible reads, The Gibeonite Deception. So as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan and in the hill country and in the low land, all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and the, kings, uh, the king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, and, and who lived in Ashtaroth. And, and so our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the country and go meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them. And made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So we could see from this passage that the Gibeonites, they saw the writing on the wall. They had seen what had just taken place to the fortified city of Jericho. To the great city of Ai. They, they knew they needed to come up with a plan. And while the other cities, they gathered together the kings and kingdoms and they saw the might and swift of the Israelite army and God going before them in such dramatic fashion, all of these cities, they decided to make somewhat of an alliance, a coalition, a confederacy for their own well-being. They combined as enemies of the Israelites, standing in unity for the sole purpose of survival. All except one of these ites, the Gibeonites. They instead crafted this coalition 
Instead of the coalition of might, they established this deceptive plan of sight. They masqueraded themselves as something other than what they were actually were. You, you see, they expressed to Joshua and the leaders that they were coming from a far off land. Because they would have known if they said they were from Gibeon. Gibeon was only a mere 25 miles away from the base camp of the Israelites at Gilgal. Uh, so Joshua would have saw right through that and said, you know, you're trying to pull a fast, was, fast one on us, so we're going to go ahead and kill you, right? So, but what actually happened, they thought, hey, if we say we're from a far off land, we're not going to mention Jericho. We're not going to mention I. We're going to say we're just going to talk about what had happened many years ago to the Amorite kings of Sihon and Og. Maybe they'll agree to have mercy on us. And so um, this is what took place. They were seeking to establish this covenant of peace with the Israelites through a deceptive plan. And so as we see here, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out pat sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. And so what's the big deal? Why amidst all of this carnage, all of this war, why couldn't, you know, Joshua and the Israelites have a little bit of grace and mercy on these people? Remember, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the iniquity of the Amorites were not yet complete. We are talking about an evil and depraved uh, generation. The whole promised land uh, was just full of evil, corrupt individuals. And the Lord specifically said to Moses in Exodus that you are not to make a covenant with these people in the promised land. Exodus 23:32, You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. And so this was a specific command. Later in Deuteronomy 7.2. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. So we could see that there was somewhat of a no compromise establishment as far as obedience was concerned here. You know, it's not only what the Lord set, said not to do, but it's also significant as far as when this took place. Because this took place after a spiritual renewal. Uh, after they had entered into the promised land, they were told to go to Mount Ebal and Gerizim and, and read the blessings and the curses, and, and they did this. And so, so this plan of deception and this bad decision that Joshua made came right after, right off the heels of a redevotion and recommitment to the Lord. And this is significant as we'll talk about in just a second. Now, all of these things are of great importance. All of these things are of great importance because these were all a plan of the devil to bring Joshua to this point. And that's what we're going to talk about with our first point, which is know your enemy. Know your enemy. You see... We oftentimes have an obscure, clouded view of who the devil is and how he's attacking. 
You know, when we look at the schemes and the wiles of the devil, as we see in Ephesians 6, with this word wiles meaning trickery, cunning, artful strategies in order to manipulate someone to do something that they do not want to do and you want to do through them. Oftentimes, we can see how the devil attacks, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious at times in our life where <laughs> this is an attack of the devil, right? And, you know, sometimes he will attack like we are told in 1 Peter 5, 8, like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Make no, there's no two ways about it. Like this is the devil attacking me, my family, what have you. But here's the thing. The thing that oftentimes gets overlooked is this. We have to remember that the devil also works plans of deception. He is a, not only a roaring lion seeking to devour but he is a crafty, sly, deceiving, slithering serpent. Genesis 3. Paul refers to it again in, in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Things are not always going to appear as they seem. You know, we see that the devil was not able to get his uh, directives accomplished because uh, he thought the fortified cities of Jericho would stop the Israelites, Right? And then the weapons of I would also be something to take note of. He, he tried to work through Achan. But here we see, here we see that the devil's plan actually worked. He was able to deceive Joshua and the leaders through the Gibeonites and their deceit. Not in the way you would think. Not a big fortified city like Jericho or a large city like I, but through the Gibeonites' deception. And I think this is very important. Because oftentimes we are on guard, we are aware, we see these overt spiritual assaults that oftentimes come into our life. But oftentimes we are unaware. Or we gloss over. Or we don't take the time to be as shrewd as we should when the devil is all the while working in ways that are completely we're completely blinded to. And this is really what we want to talk about today. The devil will seek to gain a foothold through subtle compromises, deceit, manipulation. And sometimes we don't do the due diligence. In fact, the devil will gain a foothold through subtle compromise. Or, or he will seek to deceive us by having us rush through important decisions in our life, not giving them their due diligence. I, I mean, we could all attest to that. How many times has, you know, we had this decision that came before us and we didn't feel great about it, but circumstance or one thing led to another and we go ahead and step into it. And then after the fact, we're like, oh, I wish so bad I could have the reset button. I wish so bad I could go back and just spend a little bit more time making that decision because we could hear and identify the roaring lion, but oftentimes the deception of the slithering serpent gets us exactly where the devil wants us. We are not infallible when it comes to our own discernment. The devil will go to great lengths to accomplish his purposes. And oftentimes, those aren't the ways that we actually see him working. No one is immune to it. He will use deception, doubting, disbelief, and disguise to thwart the plans of God. As we see 
in Second Corinthians. I feel like everyone's going to go home and like, you know, just cry tonight because it's like, <laughs> we're just like, really? Like the devil is seeking to destroy us in this fashion? Yeah. Yeah. He exactly is. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is masquerading himself as something good to us as followers of Jesus to deceive us into something that isn't good. He is a liar and the father of lies. According to John 8, 44, we know he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And this should be very concerning to us. We should not be deceived. In fact, I found it fascinating in just the study for this week that we see these two phrases explicitly, word for word, let no one deceive you, do not be deceived. Let no one deceive you, do not be deceived. That's six times in the New Testament. In countless times, dozens of times, implicitly, we see that it's implied that we are not to be deceived, even without using those specific words. So that means, that should tell us, we should be very on guard, we should be very diligent and cognitive and aware of maybe how the devil is seeking to deceive us. He will stop at nothing to trip us up, to ensnare us, to bring us down the road, and to ultimately make a shipwreck of our faith. That is his goal. And the other thing is this, as we alluded to earlier. It's not only how the devil was deceiving Joshua and the leaders, but also when? This was a, a spiritual mountaintop moment for the nation of Israel. I mean, could you just imagine the, the whole nation being divided, half the people over at the base of Mount Ebal, half the people over at the base of Mount Gerizim, and, and they're reciting some of these curses, these things that we are to stay away from, and, and some of them reciting these, these uh, uh, blessings in, that we have received from the Lord. And this was a, tie, uh, uh, a time of spiritual renewal. It was a spiritual mountaintop moment moment for the nation of Israel literally. And this is our next subpoint. The devil may attack at times in which we feel the most secure, in which we feel the most secure. It may indeed be a time in where you are the closest to the Lord. It might be a time where you have reestablished your devotion to him. It might be a time where you have seen the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan River part and you have walked across on dry ground. There might be times in your life where the Lord is powerfully working through you, true change and transformation, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get hit with the rock right in the face, right? No. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, well, what just happened? What, why is this happening now, Lord? I'm doing all the things that you told me to do. I, I'm stepping away from sin in my life. I'm, I'm being devoted and obedient to you. Why now? Like, but that's the thing. Oftentimes we look at our faith as some type of an ATM machine. And I'm not saying there aren't going to be blessings uh, from being, uh, having a life that's obedient to the Lord. And, and there aren't going to be consequences to sin. I'm not saying that. But oftentimes we just expect this thing to take place. A, a cause and effect aspect of our life. And we forget. We forget that there will be times that we have this spiritual attack. And it happens when we're walking closest to the Lord. Well, why do you think that happens? Well... 
If you take steps towards the Lord, well, the devil, he just doubled up his efforts on you. That target on your back, that bounty for your soul has just increased in size, has just went up in value. What are we told in 1 Peter? Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come to test you. To test you. Suffering and and, and spiritual attacks at times, if anything, they are just a validation of your life in Christ. And as we are told in Ephesians 6, that we have to regularly stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. And specifically, in this case, on this topic of deception, put on the helmet of salvation. So our minds will not be deceived by the plans, the schemes, and the wiles of the devil. He will stop at nothing to deceive us, to manipulate us, to make us think and see things appear as they are not. But again, what's the question that we proposed at the beginning of this? How do we get through this? How do we navigate these troubled waters at times? If, if we have this enemy, your adversary, Satan, who is seeking to take you down, how are we to step into these areas of decision, these areas of deception, when we need to know what direction that we are to go? Uh, all of us find ourselves at these forks in the road, right? And none of us want to go down the wrong path. None of us want to go down that area that is not of the Lord. We all want to stay in his will. None of us want to take the blue pill and stay in the matrix, right? So I got about three or four of you with that. Uh, but, but think about this. For, for young, some of you young people in here, uh, think about the fact that what am I going to do after high school? I mean, it's just right around the corner. Am I going to college? Am I not going to college? Do I have to... Decide on my major already. These are significant decisions, significant forks in the road that you have to make. As you get a little bit older, what job am I going to take? Where am I going to live? How in the world am I going to afford rent in the Treasure Valley, right? Is this person I'm dating the person that the Lord is going to have me with for the rest of my life? Or, Lord, just please send someone to date, right? (laughs) Or, Or, like, you know, kids, Am I supposed to, are we supposed to have kids? No kids? How many kids? Through what avenue are we to have kids? All of those are big decisions in, in life. Or, or thinking through the decisions that brought many of you in this room here within these four walls today. Am I supposed to stay in California or move to the Treasure Valley, the promised land, right? Well, that's a no-brainer, right? You chose correctly and everyone said amen. <laughs> but how about a career change? A new job, a new investment, a new business, a new church. For many, a year ago, many of us were asking the question, where am I going to go to church? Again, he chose correctly. So, but as we see here today, the most important verse that we see in our passage and the most sobering verse that we see in our passage is this. Joshua, he did not choose correctly. He actually stepped into a sin of omission. He did not do something that he knew he should have done. He knew that he was not to step into the covenant with these people, with these Canaanites, the Hivites specifically in this case, but he did so anyhow. And why? 
Well, in verse 14, so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And, and there should be a sobering aspect to those words. But did not ask counsel from the Lord. It's one of the few areas in scripture where we see somewhat of an admonishment as far as not stepping in and seeking out the Lord for a decision. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them. Doing something that he wasn't supposed to do. And to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. He made the wrong decision. And, and we could find ourselves at these crossroads making the wrong decision when maybe even it feels like we are. So if our first point is to know your enemy and how and when he may attack, well, our second point is to know our battle plan. How are we going to navigate this when some of these decisions come up and we're struggling? We, we, we need to know what direction to take how we are supposed to navigate this. And this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. When these large decisions are looming, what and where do we go, right? And regardless of the outcome, we have to step into specific things. Because even if that outcome maybe doesn't work out for us, maybe doesn't necessarily finish how we thought it would. Maybe it doesn't lead to health, wealth, and prosperity and all things going well. At least if we commit these things to the Lord, we could with full assurance say that. Hey, I committed these things to the Lord. I know it was the decision that he wanted me to make because I was steadfast in the things that he called me to do before I pulled the trigger. And, and this is essentially where we need to arrive at. How do we hear the voice of God? How do we know the direction that he wants to take us? How do we know that we aren't being deceived? We've all been on the wrong end of a decision, right? As I said earlier, I just wish I could just hit the reset button. I just wish I would have spent a little bit more time doing the things I know I ought to be doing before I made that decision. And in hindsight's 2020, I wish we could just go back and say to that myself or yourself to say, oh, you know, you should have went with that check in your spirit. You should have spent a little bit more time placing it at the Lord's feet. Now, whether it was deception or not, you know, some of those things we'll be able to figure out on this side of eternity. Some of those things will be revealed to us when we get to eternity. But may we walk by faith and not by sight. In these situations, you see Joshua and his leaders were walking by sight. They saw the deception that was before them and they embraced it. And so our first commitment, the thing that we want to commit to is the commitment to searching scripture. Searching scripture, it's of great importance. As I, we talked about a, a couple weeks ago, our judgment our discernment, our intuition, and the ability to follow the Lord's lead will always be at its highest magnitude, will always be at its fullest, will always be at its greatest when we are spending regular, intentional, meaningful time in the Word of God. There is no replacement. I remember a time in my life when my Bible reading was throwing my Bible on the nightstand when it was convenient, I'd pick it up, crack it open, and, you know, oh, I haven't read for a while. i got to, like, you know, read all these chapters. And, and, but then I remember so many times as well 
walking right by my nightstand and seeing my Bible and saying, oh, man, i got to get back into the word of God. I've got to have some due diligence. There is no replacement. And, and oftentimes we think that we're just supposed to have this grandiose enlightenment from what we read in Scripture for that day. Now, that might be the case. I can't tell you how many times that we have read a Scripture like, wow, Lord, thank you so much for just showing me that today. But oftentimes, the Lord is giving you a golden nugget for another day. He's, he's telling you to hide it in your heart. And he wants us to be followers of Jesus that have spent years taking in his word. So our, our wisdom, our Holy Spirit-empowered wisdom and discernment will be so heightened to the point because we have our knowledge increased, we have our wisdom increased by regularly taking in uh, the Word of God. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is for today and for the future. It will always help assist and guide our decisions. And ultimately, what it's going to do specifically in our passage today it's going to allow us to gravitate towards the truth and filter out the deception. And the, the commitment to Scripture doesn't always mean having this specific verse for us today. That might be the case, but oftentimes we have to embrace principles. We have to embrace overarching themes, even specifically in this narrative that we're stepping into today. This isn't a, a verse-by-verse instruction. We're, we're taking this overall general theme of deception and we're allowing this narrative to speak into and influence and direct our life. We need to be open to both. Maybe a specific passage, maybe an overarching theme or narrative in the Word of God should be used to guide our decisions. And I would also just finalize with this as far as Scripture is concerned. Scripture is all-sufficient. You may have even heard or maybe even thought, I've even seen it on some church websites, that it is our responsibility to speak into areas in which Scripture is silent. No, Scripture is not silent. It is not still speaking to us. It has spoken. And we are to take it in. And oftentimes when we say, I just don't know if Scripture is speaking to us, I would challenge ourselves to say, maybe we haven't done enough due diligence to search and examine what God's Word is trying to tell us to find the answers. And the second commitment that we need to ascribe to when we have these weighty decisions before us uh, that uh, we want to make sure we are not being deceived is this, the commitment to steadfast prayer. You see, the Gimeonites' petition, according to Joshua, was so clear that he didn't even feel like he needed to consult the Lord. In fact, he was deceived. What was he deceived by? Worn out wineskins, tattered clothes, sandals, dry crumbled stale bread. Not that big of a deal. Like, I'm just going to say, it wasn't like this deceptive plan that you've seen like you know you've seen some of those mind better movies right you're like how in the world did someone write this whole thing to uh, allow this you know this uh, this extensive plan of deception to take place but here's the thing we need to commit all things to prayer we need to uh, 
just say, regardless of some of these smaller decisions or these big life-changing decisions, they should all be committed to prayer. Now, what I'm not saying is that, you know, we have to contemplate our navel and spend three hours deciding uh, what type of socks we're going to be wearing for the day, right? You know, no-show or tube socks, I don't know. But what we are saying, you know, no analysis paralysis, but we are saying if we were to land on one end of the spectrum or the other, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, the whole analysis paralysis, maybe that's for another day. But I would say the majority of us land on this situation where we so quickly step into a decision, a flippant decision, where we think, oh, I think this is the right thing to do without doing the due diligence and committing these things uh, to the Lord. In fact, one commentator put it bluntly, which I, I really loved when I read this, said prayerlessness destroys our discernment. Prayerlessness destroys our discernment. Is it not a prideful stance to say that I actually know what I'm supposed to do before committing these things to the Lord and what he would actually guide and lead and discern me through? And I I just love it. And many of you guys have been in this situation where you're in the midst of a discussion. There's lots of things going back and forth. Maybe there's some indecisiveness as far as what to do, where to go, and how to go about it. And then all of a sudden someone says, time out, time out. We haven't prayed about this. We really need to commit this to prayer. Travis is really good with that. And I I think it's such a good thing to do. May we even be that person to say, hold on. Like we're going back and forth, but we haven't even paused to pray. We're making all these decisions before we've even laid it at the Lord's feet. And, And so God makes it very clear. He sets the bar high when it comes to prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 14 and 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Meaning that there's going to be an opportunity to pray. Maybe it's even a silent, quick, you know, 20 second prayer right before you're going into something that's very daunting. Maybe if you have some time, just setting aside some time to pray, to fast, to commit this to the Lord, to say, Lord, I just want to seek you out with all of my heart here in this situation. And we are told to give thanks in all circumstances when we do this, for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for us. And our third commitment in our battle plan is this, the commitment to seeking godly counsel. Again, Joshua could have called a a meeting. He could have gathered up all the elders. He could have gathered up all the leaders. He could have gathered up some of the priests and said, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing I mean, this sounds a little fishy, right? I mean, we've got these guys in tattered clothes, giving us crumbled bread, saying they're from a a far-off land. I mean, even if they were from a far-off land, what have they been eating? Have they been eating this, you know, crumbled moldy bread? Like, why aren't they all sick? Or or like, hey, even if, why are they like from head to toe uh, looking pretty frumpy? I mean, wouldn't you think if they wanted to make a covenant with us that they would have at least put aside a nice shirt or something, but essentially head to toe, uh, they're looking like, you know, just a, not a good place. And, and so, you know, if he would have sought some godly counsel, maybe some of those things would have been like, oh, you, you've got a point. Maybe we should think about that. But the other thing is this, when seeking godly counsel, I would say this, and ask ourselves the question, What prevents us from doing that? What prevents us from seeking godly counsel? I I would say probably time. We we don't want to be a burden on somebody or maybe we don't want someone to be a burden on us. 
Or I would also say pride again. I watched some YouTube videos last night, right? I'm an authority on the matter. I stayed at a Holiday Inn, you know? So those are some of those things that we don't think we actually need to take the counsel of others because we think we've got it all figured out. And, and I would say at times when there's situations, humble yourself. Humble yourself into seeking godly wisdom from a trusted brother or sister in Christ. And, and God won't allow that to return void. And, and when it does come to that, when someone asks you to say, hey, I want to run some things by you. you got a little bit of time, and I know everyone's busy. But we should really make the time. And that's what the body of Christ is. Hey, you're going through a difficult time. You're going through a difficult season. I'm trying to seek clearly, see clearly, and seek the Lord out in this situation. Will you help me? And when you get into a situation, listening. You know, it's like we want to fix. Listen, listen. And then try to pray and have some godly insight. And so also... You know, we need to step into the fact that of doing it, doing that and, and being the body of Christ when called upon when it comes to seeking godly wisdom. What are we told in Proverbs eleven fourteen? And the New King James says this, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And then our fourth commitment, our fourth and final commitment is this. <clears throat> the commitment to listening, listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this could manifest itself in many ways. The Holy Spirit moves in countless ways through our lives. But I would say here, the Holy Spirit is to be utilized to navigate through the deception and truth of the matters at hand. And we, we find ourselves or found ourselves at these situations, correct? I mean, we're at a place and I was like, oh, I, I just don't feel good about this. I, I just don't, I've got a bad feeling about this. I, I just don't maybe necessarily trust that person or trust the situation. I have a check in my spirit and I, I just, uh, I don't have peace, right? Or it might be on the other side of the coin to say this. It's like, hey, I, I feel like the Lord has closed the door. I'm going to take that and say, I'm not going to keep going. Or I feel like, man, it is only of the Lord that he opened this door. And I'm going to walk through this. And those are some things and ways to say and arrive at a place of peace. But I would say this when it comes to stepping into our gut, our feeling, where we feel like the Spirit is leading us. Don't just allow that to be the only thing you make a decision on. Because oftentimes... That's what allows us to arrive at a bad place. It says the heart is wicked who can trust it. So allow that to be the fourth or the third. Don't bypass searching and examining scripture. Steadfast prayer. Seeking godly counsel. Don't bypass those things just because you feel the Lord is leading you to take this measure. But do listen and be obedient to the Holy Spirit in your life. If he is moving through your heart, mind, and soul, don't just bypass what God and how God is speaking to you through this. What does the Lord tell his disciples? He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come and help guide you. I'm no longer going to be with you. Now you have the Holy Spirit. 
But what does he say immediately after those words? He says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So ultimately, again, to answer that question, where the Lord wants us to arrive at is a place of peace. My peace, I give you. My peace, I leave you. But let's just not go with maybe some whims or some feelings, which aren't necessarily bad, but allow us to step into concrete, objective due diligence so we could arrive at this place that I know beyond the shadow of the doubt that this is the direction that the Lord has called me to do. Oftentimes we get so worried and concerned about, oh, we're going down the wrong path. But here's the thing. God is not going to let an opportunity go that he wants us to have. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He is overseeing your past. But he's also asking us to step into specific things. May we not be on the side of the equation just as Joshua in this situation where he did not seek counsel of the Lord. May we always be leaning into God and his sovereign divine guidance and plan and discernment for our lives in all things, but especially the weighty ones. May we search and examine scripture. May we be steadfast in prayer. May we seek godly counsel and may we listen and be obedient to the Holy Spirit, the helper that is alive and well and working in our life. And as we conclude today, and I just wanted to give the church to be an opportunity to be the church, which means to step into this commitment to steadfast prayer. The second pillar of ministry here at Redeemer is prayer that is dependent on him. And there might be some in this room right now that you're like, whoa, I really needed to hear that. Or maybe it's a situation like, I just talked to a person walking in the door today that they're going through it. And they just need not only some directives, but they just need the powerful manifest presence of God in their lives. And so if you're here in this room today and you have a weighty, looming decision before you that you need wisdom, guidance, and prayer over, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. And I know it's hard, but if you feel like, God, I need more of you in this decision, I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Or even if you just need some heavy-duty prayer right now, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want all of us to be the church. And if there's someone standing around you or close by you, just come up alongside. You can lay a hand on them. But if you're in need of prayer in this area, I would just ask that you stand. And if there's people around you that you could just go lay a hand on and agree with them in prayer, we would just ask that you do that as well. I'll give you a couple minutes.
Let's agree together in prayer. And if you're just sitting in your seat, you could just extend a hand towards some of these individuals. And it's not too late to stand. If you need prayer right now, I encourage you to do this. Step into it. This is the purpose of the church, to be a body of believers that encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, there are some weighty decisions that loom in this room right now. And God, even if these individuals did not stand or we just pray right now and petition before you and almighty God, God, that we would humble ourselves and commit to you in these areas and these endeavors. Lord, these were just simple tools today. But Lord, just recognizing that you are God over all. God, we lift up any individual in here that's hurting, any individual that has just dealt with the rigors of having this decision that needs to be made. But Lord, I do not know where to go. God, may you through your power, your might, your wisdom, your sovereign divine presence, God, that you would make things abundantly clear in these situations. God, in it, that your name would be glorified and magnified. God, that we would be able to see as your people through the deceptions of the devil. God, that you would protect us. You would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That we would stand firm against the schemes and the wiles of the devil. Lord, that we would know what it means to be the body of Christ for one another. God, may we step into these things joyfully. And God, that your church would rise above in glory, above it all. That the brilliant light, a city set upon a hill, would be seen. God, that there would be healing today. God, that there would be a re-devotion and recommitment to you in these endeavors. God, most of all, that anyone in here that is in need of peace would receive that peace. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. God, it is supernatural. The peace that surpasses all understanding. In the middle of the raging storm, I have assurance steadfast anchor for my soul. Amen.